Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Machine Learning, a pod about the machine from Pod Against the Machine, the only podcast with a secondary podcast with a 25-word title. And also, one of those words should have been supplementary instead of secondary. I kind of like secondary. I am your host, who can't remember the name of this show, Juro. With me this month are Zach. Hello. And Izzy. Hi. And we are here to talk about the first full month of book two, starting with episode 37, Just a Wet Beat. <laughs> we start off with a nice another little opening vignette featuring Kira's sisters who are a little bit... Excited and a little bit worried, both, about her coming back because of uh, some sort of incident that happened before she left. You want to say anything specific about that, Izzy, before we go on, or kind of keep it for the fans to figure out as it goes on? Oh, mystery abounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was a... Let's see, what can I say about this? I had had most of that scene planned in my head for like months before, you know, when we started putting those character scenes together, I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to introduce it. And then it just so happened that I had a very special guest at my apartment <laughs> during this time. And I was like, hey, do you want to help out with this? Um, and um, yeah, she was Jeff's wife. It was super on board as a super fan. And so we decided to record that together and it just happened to be this episode. Uh, where we get to meet Kira's family for the first time. So things kind of just came together. Fun times. Plus, we love a guest appearance. We love a guest appearance. Yeah, that was our, I believe, technically our second guest appearance. I believe we had a guest appearance from one of Sam's uh, children in another opening vignette. Yeah, canonically, mm -hmm. uh, Val is Sam's daughter. Yeah. So we had uh, that interesting little opening. And then we went to the actual episode. We head over to the Smith family house for dinner. And we exchange uh, chickens with Kira's parents, as is tradition. And we also finally have it confirmed. It was obviously hinted at pretty hard in earlier episodes, but this is the first time that it's confirmed to the rest of our characters that the woman willow that we met at the foundry who's one of the town council is her mother and Caden, the gentleman we met at the guild hall who sold us our adamantine weapons is her father so many connections so that was kind of a interesting thing to see i guess it kind of makes sense torch is in a super big town but it was kind of interesting to find out that the two of them were her parents and we also met her younger brother, and we met her two sisters, uh, one of whom was almost certainly Moon Unit Zappa, which was kind of interesting. <laughs> and <a> stereotypical <laughs> teenage accent there. And like I said, we exchanged the chickens, and we sat down for a lovely meal of uh, 
some disturbingly thick borscht, which could possibly be a reason for Kira's distrust of thick liquids, if this is what she's been eating dinner every night for the last 16 years. Yeah, Kira didn't know what liquids were until she went out with the uh, VC4 and was like, oh, no, I don't like this. So yeah, what did you guys think of the uh, dinner party? I was listening back to this episode um, because I thought it was such a great warm moment of all of the characters kind of encouraging Kira, hey, it's okay to go inside. You know, what happened before doesn't matter. This is okay. We're, we're all friends here. That was like so touching to me. But the part that I'm really curious about that I assume we won't find out about for some time is uh, Brixby's reaction. Where I think, Zach, in the episode, you say like, you know, normally he would be saying something encouraging right now, but he's sort of like, shaken by what's just been said and I want to know what happened and I know you obviously can't tell us now it's a machine learning episode but just know that I am curious yeah no I mean I I definitely try to sow some seeds in this episode that Brixby has a pretty complicated relationship to his family and Chitterhome it's been explored in one intro so far but yeah I mean I think that Brixby this is going to be a big share but not too big of a share this kind of events is like the past couple of days, Brixby has, has sort of found some sort of stability in a family unit in this very temporary ad hoc group that's addressing a cause. And I think this kind of reflection on existing family units outside of this group kind of brings him back to the reality that he's <laughs> struggling with. So that's about as much vagaries you're going to get out of me on that. But I did really love this episode. <laughs> I want to know what everyone thinks the cultural dance that Asher performed looked like. It was just a square dance. Well, I was actually picturing, um, gosh, and I hope this doesn't make me sound like a huge, I mean, I'm on a Pathfinder podcast. So I was going to say, oh, I hope I don't sound like a huge nerd, but it's fine. Um, I go to see the Nutcracker every year and they do the... Um, inappropriately titled something something dance where it's just a lot of jumping and leaping and kicking in tights and that is exactly oh, yeah. what I pictured Asher, Asher doing it's it's like written into his character minus the tights right yeah no that'd be a perfect one for how acrobatic he is and I just thought I'm doing myself a disservice as a giant dark tower fan by not saying it was just the uh dance that Roland does in uh book five which I think was called the Kamala, which was the corn dance. Ah, yes. That he does. The crazy, like, Slavic dance is called the, like, Kazatsky, I think, or something like that. Mm. The one that he does is kind of described similar to that. Like, he crosses his arms and he does, like, a really fast tamp. It sounds almost like a mix between that and river dancing, the way it's described. Yeah, no, I, I do remember Roland dancing. It's, it's real, real crazy. Uh, book four on in particular, yeah. but um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's called Kazatsky or something like that. That sort of archetypical, yeah, mm -hmm. squat, squat, kick, mm -hmm. yep, yes, cross arm dance. I think that's what we all saw together <laughs> as a unit. Kira also had some kind of tough questions for her mom in this one because she's coming into her blood rager magic and. Her mother is magical, but in a different way. So she had some questions for her that led to a kind of interesting revelation for the entire cast that her mother used to be kind of like us. She was an adventurer. And 
we get a little bit more of Kira's backstory. We find out that her biological mother was apparently a gladiator in Scrapwall. And that she fought in the arena and that she met Kira's mo uh, current mother when she was there and said, <laughs> Have a hey, baby. You. Take Behold. Care of this baby. <laughs> I'm sure the actual thing was uh, much more dramatic than that, but. <laughs> when we get the graphic novels, we'll see it all really laid out, but <laughs> essentially, yeah. Yeah, she basically just chucked a baby at her over the fence. Nailed her in the head with it. And once uh, once you've been nailed no. in the head of the baby in Torch or around Torch, it is yours by law. But yeah, that was some real interesting just getting that kind of <laughs> more backstory on Kira and her family and possibly some interesting stuff about her other possibly family. But it's interesting. And we also got from that some information on Scrapple itself. There's the Scrapmaster's Arena, where this orc woman fought, and there is a man named Viragio, who is the leader of a gang called the Steelhawks, who, according to Kira's mom, were kind of like the big shots in Scrapwall back when she was there. And now, Mianda didn't mention anything about them, but Willow seems to think that they are possibly still people with some pull in the town, and she recommended that we go kind of look for them. So what does everybody think about, like, finding out about her past as a adventurer and finding out some more scraps of information about Scrapwall? Well, I know what I think. <laughs> I would like to hear about what Zach thinks first. I'm, I'm going to die in Thunderdome. I said it once, I'm going to say it again. That's pretty much all the mm. important news that we got from this. Well, no, you're going to ride Kira in like a Master Blaster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is true, we'll have as Master. Those great little denim jackets with the uh, VCIV patches on the back, which is exciting. Uh, yeah, I thought this was A. I'm super excited about Thunderdome. That is thrilling for me because I, well, I'm assuming I won't die. I guess we'll see. I've said that before, knock on wood. As far as Kira goes, I love learning things about Kira. She's my favorite. I knew some of this. I did not know other parts of it. So it was an interesting revelation for everyone, I'm sure. And I cannot wait to see uh, how that plays out in a giant fighting arena. I was interested to hear more about both Kira's backstory and Kira's mom backstory that she used to be an adventurer, which is kind of well, I always kind of like when you meet characters in these games that went through the same kind of stuff that you did, but then don't do it anymore. It's a neat thing, and it kind of shows that the kind of stuff that, like, the PCs are going through is the kind of thing that happens all the time in these worlds. Like, someone will get a call to go out and be an adventurer, and then once they beat the BBEG, they just go back to their normal life. <laughs> yeah. And I can say, you know, part of this, um, because I don't, it's not going to ruin anything at this point, but I had written Kira's backstory. I knew her mom was an adventure, like that was a very intentional decision. Um, and then she just sort of retired from the life and on route to that retirement had uh, quote unquote gotten the gang back together to just for fun and ended up at an arena, which ended up being, you know, I guess the scrap wall arena. 
and like was like, hey, a baby here. So it was, I was really impressed by Sam's ability to tie that into the story. I don't know if, if the Iron Gods AP has an arena already written or if this was a convenience, but I was like, oh, cool, sweet, 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 sweet. That's kind of like what I said, but you made it scary, uh, which is pretty cool. It <laughs> sounds like something that I could believe being in there. And just real quick, because uh, he's done similar stuff with my backstory, like my broad strokes that I have of it, and I'm sure he probably has for Zach and Jeff too. Big shout out to Sam for taking like the vague backstory ideas that we have and figuring out how to make them work into the larger narrative totally. of like Galarian. Absolutely. Snaps, claps, all the things. Snaps and claps. Snaps and claps. So after... Our dinner with the Smiths, we all head back to our various lodgings for our final night in the city. And that is the end of episode 37. Ooh, I'm adding one thing. I'm so sorry for clarity, because I realized as we were recording a couple weeks ago the episode, I was like, this doesn't make sense. In a very, very minor scene, Kira receives Parta's uh, dagger from her parents, from her dad specifically, which... Um, I had sort of intended, not initially from the beginning, because I, I did not know Party was going to die, but from early on, was going to be Kira's um, Sky Metal-like special object for her class, um, campaign-specific class, and which basically just, you know, gives you like a plus one will save against fear effects, mm-hmm. I think, which, <laughs> spoiler alert, ends up being kind of helpful in the next couple of episodes. Uh, so that was a fun, like seeing that come to fruition was a fun little thing. I, yeah. I can't imagine it will ever come up again, or at least not the dagger on its own, but that plus one is super useful. All right. So that takes us then into episode 38, Ride of the Horse Girl. Uh, this one starts in the opening with a vignette of Asher who loses his hat in a mysterious fire in a mysterious small town and literally risks life and limb to get it back just really piling on more to the mystery of who the heck he is and what he has under that hat (laughs) i am a big fan of him continuing to do that as much as it infuriates me not knowing i love the lore that he's building up over like how important it is that this guy has to have something on his head. I can't wait till we find (laughs) out what the heck he's hiding. (laughs) So secretive. It's the idea that he would jump into a burning building to rescue his hat is interesting. (laughs) The start of the actual episode, uh, we unfortunately have to fire Jeff temporarily, but his replacement (laughs) is some weirdo, so we immediately hire him back, so that's nice. Yay. And his replacement will never be mentioned again. (laughs) But everybody says goodbye to their various uh, hosts, and they head out into the town for the final time. They rent themselves up some horses, and they agree to, unfortunately, not get a discount on the horses, because it's not like they saved the town or anything important like that. Of course. But they do get a little bit of a discount if they promise to drop the horses off at an old crusader fort that is uh, located out in the wastes, sort of at the halfway point, or maybe a little further than halfway between here and Scrapwall. 
So that's uh, interesting, both in that it saves us a little bit of money and it gives us a sort of secondary objective. And after a couple of knowledge rolls and such, we decide that we are going to travel over land and we know that there is a bridge crossing that is controlled by a Kelid tribe called the Black Horse. So what are your guys' uh, opinions on this whole thing with this interesting fort that we have to go to and hearing about this like crossing uh, and that we're traveling, we decided to go over land, not over water. Just kind of what's everybody's thoughts on the start of the trip there? Well, it made sense for Brixby to go over land because he traveled over water a bunch. It's pretty circuitous uh, getting around like where we would like to get around using the Seven Tiers and Selen Rivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Nathan, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's right. We all named our horses. <laughs> so those were the, the real high points for me. I mean, I was also, like I said before, in last month's recap about this i was very excited to start exploring like a larger expanse of numeria and not just be stuck in a dungeon under a hill so it was really cool to um immediately sort of open that up and have sam start describing her ride and yeah it reminded me of playing through dragon age inquisition and thinking the hinterlands is the whole game and you're like i finished every quest and you finish the hinterlands and they're like actually there are 38 other places to visit and you've only met two characters and it's just you know we we spent almost a year in this in this initial book and kira spent for better or worse her whole life there so getting to leave that both as players and as characters was like wow look at all the stuff out here also horses and how do you ride horses and what are the rules for riding horses it was just very palpable and it felt like appropriate transition to to book two in all of the possible ways plus one book two so we named our horses and we headed out and eventually we came to the kelid grand canyon also known as the First Blade's Path. And we come across a bridge. We come across the Black Horses, which are one of the bigger Kelid tribes. And there is a woman leading the little garrison detachment thing they have there named Feshka. And she seems pretty friendly at first until Vargas makes a mistake of mentioning his name. At which point she says that he owes her clan a blood debt. And if we want to cross the canyon, she has. we have to let her kill him. Uh-oh. We do not want to do that. So she says, <laughs> well, in that case, there's a cyber dragon that's been eating all of our horses. So how about you deal with that instead? And we go, yeah, sure. What are you going to do, you know? Yeah. That wasn't even an option. (laughs) I honestly was actually kind of excited about this because I've mentioned, I think, to you guys a couple of times that I how much work I've put into Vargas's backstory for a character that's almost certainly not going to live long enough to tell all of it with the way he's built. But it was nice to be able to kind of pepper some of that into the story and have like just... And I liked the reactions of the party that you guys are like, well, clearly whatever he did, it was in the past. And 
he's our companion we're not gonna leave him behind which is nice like to have the rest of the party like stick by him on hearing that he has done something to wrong these people that the only way to make up for it is to let them kill him and even that wouldn't fully make up clearly he did something horrible <laughs> in his past and it's neat that i'm finally able to get a little more of his hints of his backstory out are you gonna tell us what he did no uh, fine sam knows well sam's not here and i'm not sam but you know, fine. Secrets. Everyone has secrets. Secrets, secrets. I will say I have more uh, little things written. Uh, had a very long week in the week preceding this recording, and a lot of stressful stuff happened, and one of my ways of dealing with that is to write fiction. So I wrote, like, four or five more little vignettes of Vargas things that'll be sprinkled into various future episodes of the show. Well, I look forward to it. Me too. We end the episode with us bedding down and then getting up the next morning, heading to see the horses, and we see what is, without a doubt, a cyber dragon. And before we get into the next episode with the actual fight against it, uh, what did you guys think upon seeing this thing and, like, this is something we have to fight? <laughs> I was just concerned that we were about to take on our first, like, airborne enemy. Because, you know, there's the gargoyle, but that, like, the way that that was dealt with, we didn't really have to deal with them flying at all. So I was certainly worried. <laughs> Which is a much more measured response. Because I was going to say, I was really excited to be like, yeah, dragon, kind of. Uh, until I remembered that it was flying. And my character, at least, has no, nothing against that. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just sit here on the horse and hope not to die. Um, which was not as much fun. But hey. It all worked out, kind of. And that leads us into episode 39, Secret of the Ooze. And it starts off right where the other one ended, with us fighting a cyber dragon. Specifically, we are fighting a blue wyvern with some sort of weird cybernetic implant in its chest. And it is quite the fight. It takes up a good chunk of the episode, but luckily, unlike our previous entire episode fight, which I guess Mianda was most of an episode too, but at least unlike our first most of an episode fight against the survey drone, it was not a horribly boring fight with us missing for 20 minutes. It was a big, exciting fight. Asher almost died. Asher's horse did not have a very good day, neither did a few other horses. Uh, Vargas turned big. There was all kinds of stuff going on between trying to fight mounted, trying to get off the horses to fight, trying to hit a thing that was flying, trying to avoid <laughs> poison stingers and all kinds of other crazy abilities. Just it was a very frantic, very exciting fight that I don't know about you two, but for me, I did not realize that it took as long as it did until listening back no it's true it definitely like i mean again first mounted combat fight first aerial combat fight there was a lot of positioning sam was very kind as a gm i felt like we were gonna get messed up way worse than we did but i mean we have an asher we have an asher that mm -hmm. that's what matters <laughs> we almost didn't have an asher 
Asher did indeed almost get eaten. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. a little tricky. I learned that I really want a composite bow. <laughs> yeah, get to add that strength bonus to your bow. <sighs> so good. I'm going to shoot so many things out of the sky. Y'all watch. Yeah, so after a very hard, very challenging fight, in which we lost a couple of horses, luckily none of them which were our mount, and almost lost our gunslinger, which would have been game over, we defeated this wyvern, and upon studying it, we discovered that it appears to have been experimented on by someone that someone almost certainly being the Technic League, because there isn't exactly anybody else around, slaps random technology onto the local wildlife. But it was a, still a very interesting thing to discover. We spent some time trying to figure out the best way to prove that we beat it. Finally, we decided to cut the stinger off. We brought that back to Feshka and her group. And they said, okay, we're going to look the other way for now. You guys can cross. And we headed out. Oh, and another thing that happened is Vargas, who, because he's an idiot, uh, did not bother to study Connor's spellbook, took some time towards the end of the day to look over Brix's book and copy himself over a couple of useful spells from him. So that was uh, good. That's one of the fun things about being a wizard or a class based on a wizard, basically a prepared caster, in that you can, for a moderate fee, not too bad at all for level 1 and 2 spells, copy over spells from other wizard spellbooks. So it is a nice way to just kind of share resources between people. Yeah, no, it's it's excellent. I mean, it's really just like good investment if you have even at least one other arcane prepared caster because you, I mean, I don't know. I blew all my money on scrolls. I'm really trying to expand Brixby Spellbook as much as possible because of the utility that it provides. It's not, there hasn't been a ton in this AP so far. So like getting it from uh, Connor was really helpful. And I'm so interested to see how all of this breaks down, partly as, you know, I want to see again how my newly gifted, somewhat magic character responds, but also because I myself am curious. I, uh, as is no surprise to anyone here, love a melee class, usually play a melee class, can be often uh, coerced into it. So I'm always fascinated to hear how anything magic works that is beyond just like I clicked a box and now I can hit something. But before we get there, which, you know, doesn't need to happen necessarily this episode, was it this ep or last one that um, Kira, I don't want to say confronted, but asked very politely, Vargas, about their involvement with, I guess, the previous Black Sovereign? Is that what they're called? Ooh, yes, that was... Oh, no, that was the last episode, and I completely skipped over it, even though I wrote it in the show notes. The interesting was, and that was from the last one, and I apologize for missing that. The Black Horses used to be their former war chief, who was basically like the military leader of the clan, was a guy named Kevath Kool, who is now the Black Sovereign, the person who is the de facto king of all of the various Kelid clans. And a lot of the Kelids don't currently like him. There was actually a very large, basically, civil war 
not long after he claimed the title because of him claiming Starfall as his capital and uh, aligning himself with the Technic League, since those are both really big no-nos among Kelids. And because he aligned himself with the Technic League and all of their crazy magic and technology, he very easily won that war. But Vargas uh, was one of the people on the other side of it. And Kira mentioned a thing that she heard that he was someone who had been in the running for Black Sovereign, which he claimed he wasn't. And he seemed kind of surprised to hear her say that like he was surprised that was even a thing that people would say. But who knows? Maybe he's a better actor than people think he is. And I don't want to, you know, throw anyone under the bus, but there was like some mild storming off after this conversation. Yes, there was. Mild, very suspicious storming off. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, if I remember correctly, uh, he didn't have any good uh, ranged spells for the dragon fight, specifically because he stormed off and immediately went to bed instead of spending time uh, checking Brixby's spell book. Classic. <laughs> yeah, but that was a thing that happened. And... Then that would take us to the final episode of the month. I have no mouth, and I must stab. <laughs> so, the party, after fighting the dragon and crossing the bridge, continued on a little ways, bedded down for the night, nothing super interesting happened. Got up the next day, continued on the path, and ran into some uh, rather interesting inclement weather. By which I mean the sky started raining down acid on them. <laughs> and everybody had to immediately run for cover under a tree and ruin a blanket. Though luckily it was said by our benevolent GM that it was not the dead friend blanket. So we do still have that. <laughs> yeah, what do you guys think of the uh, interesting uh, climate of Numeria? Yeah, this is definitely some of that, like, getting out of Numeria, experiencing the, like, very unique landscape. I mean, sure, lots of other regions inside Galarian are unique, amazing, and interesting, but there aren't a ton that combine the fantasy tropes that are present inside Numeria, so I really love this, like, blighted wasteland covered in downed ships, uh, technology, and, and, and whatnot, and everything is just either like sort of twisted or poisoned or just sort of fighting for existence and uh, that really got reinforced with the terrible death from above <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty exciting and again mentioned a bunch of times before relatively new to pathfinder and i wanted to ex you know avoid exploring too much because like zach said i don't want to spoil anything but this version of exploration is really again as it is for me as it is my character kind of like seeing what else is out there and it is difficult to not say in the middle of like an episode Kira veers off to the left just to see that tree over there is it alive <laughs> who knows uh, that would be rude and selfish and probably boring but I'm thrilled by this and again every time we go through like a section of that you know day travel I think of uh, the Oregon Trail games and I'm like mm. fully ready <laughs> to what is it uh, Ford yeah, cock the wheels and forward the river. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Something, something. Dysentery. I shot three oxen. <laughs> Funny, uh, I didn't write it in the show notes because I didn't think it was that important of a thing. But now that you mentioned, like, Kira wanting to wander off and look at stuff, 
there was at one point when Sam was having us roll for uh, night two there, the day before the rain, when we were doing our shifts, when we were sleeping, he had a thing that I think he described as basically like a tumbleweed, but it was floating along the sky like a cloud, like at head level, kind of wandered by at one point. And I could just tell that he wanted whoever was on <laughs> watch at the time to like go over and touch it so he could have it do something horrible to us. But we basically <laughs> just ignored it like, yeah, no, it's New Maria. There's weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, had Kira been awake, uh, she absolutely would have wandered over and touched it. Had Izzy been awake and also in this fictional world, for sure. But yeah, so we had the acid rain. We continued on a little longer and bedded down for our third night, which we hoped would be as uneventful as the first two. But it was not. A strange woman showed up in the night and was smiling all creepy and laughing and had a bunch of weird scars all over her. And the person on watch, if I remember correctly, I believe it was Brixby, woke mm-hmm. everybody else up. And Vargas, upon seeing this person and uh, to call back to Hira earlier, getting some confirmation from the GM that this was the person that he thought it was, because it was someone that the GM inserted into his backstory to better fit the story, immediately wasted his only level two spell to attempt to attack this person running through the campfire in the process, only to discover that she was some sort of illusion. I believe specifically she was a nightmare double or whatever that spell is called. And we discovered that the person casting the spell was a, at the time, invisible Garmin Ulrith, who has been turned into some kind of horrible monster. His mouth has been sewn shut. And as we discover, as we start fighting him, he has some kind of crazy Wolverine-like healing factor, despite clearly not being undead. So that is some real, real craziness. Uh, I was very much surprised. I wasn't super surprised to run into Garmin again. I figured we would eventually, but to run into immortal monster Garmin really threw me for a loop. What about you guys? Absolutely same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not having knowledge planes really bums me out here. I really wish I knew what I was dealing with. Having a relatively high knowledge planes and rolling garbage bummed me out. <laughs> I, I don't have any knowledges, so I was indifferent. But I do want to know what's happening. Yeah, just the fact that it is a planes roll is just weird, like... Like, what the heck happened to him? Yeah, I mean, I have my theory, but, you know, yeah. it's not based in anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of had a theory when Sam was mentioning forever ago when we after we fought Sandville, and he was saying some of the things that the Numerian fluids, which Sandville was drinking to buff himself during our fight... He mentioned one of the things it can do is make you immortal. And I at first thought maybe that might have been part of it, but then I had it pointed out to me that usually when Paizo says immortal, they mean like you stop aging, not that you are invincible and heal from all damage. Mm. Totally. 
I thought that might have been it at first, but after having that pointed out and thinking about how ridiculous that would be if, like, a PC happened to roll that, I realized that there's no way that that's what it is. This has got to be some other crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, like, uh, something that relates to... I don't know. I mean, I think he is a chitin. That's only based in Zack the Player's, like, experience or something relating to chitin. But I don't know. I've never been able to have a regeneration that I haven't been able to deal with based off of my level because it's usually just like a fire or acid-based thing. So this has been kind of odd, um, for sure. (laughs) I have no theories, but I'm pretty excited. Just love a zombie. Eh, that's not true. But this particular zombie, I'm excited to see soft unravel, like as as friendly as possible, come to an eventual demise. Yeah, that's another interesting thing. We basically had to end the episode with us uh, going, betting back down, and then whoever was on watch on top of keeping an eye out for other things to attack us had to basically stab Garmin again every five minutes or so to keep him down <laughs> for the rest of the night. Sure, regular stabbings, of yeah. course. Which, uh, that's an interesting wrench to be thrown into our plans, just having to deal with a regenerating enemy that we can't get rid of and can't learn anything about. Yeah, before we uh, cut to commercial, so to speak, do either of you have anything from this month's episodes that you want to say anything more about? I'm excited to keep on trucking. I mean, I guess technically we know at least what happens in what the next two episodes, but just um, we've made it through a book. We've got a whole adventure behind us and a whole other adventure ahead of us. Great. Let's see what happens. Will we still be friends in the morning? Did we get eaten by a cyber dragon again? Who can say? (laughs) Yeah, no, I just can't wait to get to Scrapwall. That's how I feel. I'm so excited to to actually finally make it there. (laughs) It's in my head, that whole I have a Scrapwall montage that plays to girls just want to have fun. And we're all just trying on different like um, sunglasses. Uh, before going into the arena. I thought you were going to say, we'd be like like the trying on dresses scene in uh, Pretty Woman, only it's like Mad Max, like leather daddy armor. <laughs> Ooh, let's do that instead. That does sound like more fun. I'm sure uh, we'll find plenty of strong, able-bodied, lawful good crusaders to help us at the fort when we get there, so that'll be good. We'll probably have our own little band of army by the time we get to scrap wall oh that's nice looking forward to it everybody has enjoyed the recap and we will see you all right after this break when the warmth of summer is under threat i spy with my little eye something big and gray oh man that's a big storm cloud over there don't you know one group will brave the storm. Ugh, Suka, it is colder than Baba Yaga's tits out here. Literally, right now. We must use our most powerful weapon. Quick, everyone, love each other. You can listen to the adventure. If you climb in the saddle, you best be ready for the ride. Roll the dice and have some feelings with the Dimension Door podcast as they play through Paizo's Reign of Winter. 
Oh, except, you know, you don't actually need to roll the dice, because we, we like, we, we pre-recorded this whole thing, and we already rolled the dice, so... Shmerigold, no, we are recording right now. Oh, dear. Good girl, just quiet, donkey. And we are back. Thank you to Dimension Door for that lovely promo. Go check them out. They are awesome. So, on to Q&A. We are going to start here with a question from Bellandora for Sam, who everybody remembers has been here the entire episode. Sam, what has been the most satisfying moment for you as a GM in the adventure so far? Of course I've been here the whole time. What a weird thing to say, first of all, because, yeah, everything is normal about this recording and there's nothing off in the slightest. Anyways, back to the question. I went back and forth on this one a few different times just because there are a lot of things that have been really satisfying from a GM standpoint. Um, But I have to think that the single greatest, most satisfying moment was episode 23, TPK2, when Brixby walked into the cave and Hetwath just punched him in the face. Because that was... That was like 12 weeks in the making, so almost three months I had been sitting on the fact that Hetuath was going to come back from the dead and be out for revenge. And since he did such a number on the party the first time, I knew that, you know, there's going to be this visceral reaction. I didn't know he was going to almost TPK the party again, but it was just so great. And then you went and sent the wizard through first which was just beautiful. So not only did Hetwath get to use that readied action and punch somebody, he punched the guy with the lowest AC and the, not the fewest hit points, because Brixby has a thousand hit points, but, you know, the theoretically squishiest member of the group. And just like this, the emotional reaction to like, oh my god, this guy who was dead is here, and now he's going to almost kill everybody. You know, it warms a GM's heart. Only thing that would have been better is if he actually did, you know, kill everybody. Uh, that is amazing. Uh, and to kind of make this a everybody question for myself and Jeff, who also everybody remembers has been here the entire episode. I'm going to add on to Bellandora's question here. What have been our two favorite moments so far for our respective characters? And... For me, I would say my favorite moment as Vargas was probably speaking to the leader of that Black Horse group and basically just kind of getting to roleplay him meeting somebody that knows his still-yet-to-be-revealed mysterious and apparently very notorious past just because it was very fun to do and very fun to kind of add to that mystery. Jeff, what's been your favorite moment so far as Asher? Oh, man. So, so many underwhelming moments to choose from. No, I love being Asher. That is a, a quality goof. We should keep that in. You know, my my first thought, my initial was still loving back um, the very first combat. My first and our first attack roll as a pod was a crit. Mm-hmm. That was a feel-good high that I've been riding for redacted number of episodes. But apart from that, and it's kind of a co-moment with 
Brixby, but the whole absurdity of jumping on top of the warehouse and then getting caught behind the bushes, the the Linus moment, that was just fun. It may not have been the most adventure impact, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. Kind of a standout scene for me of uh, that was just an enjoyable time. No, it was definitely fun as someone who basically just got to sit back and listen to that whole thing happen since I wasn't in that scene. It was a lot of fun listening to. It was just hilarious. On to our next question. And this is specifically a kind of Jeff-centric question that, again, I can spin out to kind of switch it to the rest of us. This is from Darby, Seeker of Inspire. How much, if any, inspiration from the character of Billy Butcher did Jeff take in the creation of Asher? Darby thinks they seem similar in a lot of ways. I'm flattered to be compared uh, in any small way to Carl Urban, who I learned today is the actor of Billy Butcher. I also learned what show that character is from. Uh, yeah, no. So I'm assuming that means there might not be a super lot of inspiration taken. There was, a, there was uh, believe it or not, no inspiration from Billy Butcher. Uh, although I have almost finished watching the first episode of The Boys. Uh, so, no, it's been recommended to me by many people. Yeah. It was just... Yeah, I would heavily recommend the uh, comic as well. It is very different in a couple of key points, and it's also very good. Well, I look forward to, in the mid-2040s, being able to maybe read that at that point, yeah. Hashtag dad life. But I will say that Asher is loosely based on, and this is a fairly opposite end of the spectrum, but in the series The Chosen, which is probably everyone's favorite uh, Life of Jesus TV show available on YouTube and the The Chosen app, uh, the character of Zebedee is played by Nick Shakur, and I used his art and sort of his voice and some a little bit of his personality as the inspiration for Asher. And I sent like a couple pictures of him to the artist that did Asher's art of like I kind of visualize him as being voiced or played by Nick Shakur and just that whole character who isn't doesn't get a ton of screen time, but I adored. I thought, yeah, if that guy instead of being, you know in the ancient Near East, was instead in Galarian and also had a gun. That, that was kind of where I started. <laughs> so to kind of spin this one out the same way I did with the one that was directed mainly at Sanem, for the rest of us here, any inspiration we took on characters, I'll go to Sam before I answer myself because he has the most characters. As far as the NPCs go, was there kind of anything you added to any of them aside from what characterization the book gives that maybe came from any sort of pop culture source? Um, well, I think I've mentioned before that I kind of did um, Sam Viltret as a, a little bit of a Jesse Pinkman kind of homage. I'm not super much like him, but I, I tried to bring in some of that Breaking Bad like conflict with the character as sort of this guy who's, you know, 
involved with forces that he's not necessarily mm-hmm. up to the task of dealing with. He's got drug problems, and, you know, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Garrett, I went wild with. Um, he didn't really have any specific influences other than I decided I wanted to have fun with him because he uh, seemed like a fun guy. There was Asuka Unterret, who I think only ever appeared in episode one. I referenced a character from Monsters, Inc., I think it was, just like this secretary character who just sounds like super, super bored of everything. She's just like, next. Oh, yes. Yeah. Wazowski. Yeah. Those are the ones that spring to the top of my head. (laughs) Nice. In my case, I want to say Vargas is... Personality-wise, I feel like I, maybe not intentionally at first, but as it went on, he is uh, very similar to a character, Cortland Andrus, who is a uh, sort of like a military teacher in a lot of the flashback stuff in the Dark Tower series, in that he's just this old, grumpy, scarred warrior that's just kind of really brusque and gruff his character arc is very different but in terms of personality i think as i've gone on i keep pulling on that character and that kind of characterization for him next question we have for our third of our four questions so this is from crazy piano man and it is sort of a correlation to the question that was asked last month so it's interesting that we have uh, two different people for this one than we had for the other one so last month we had one which was where is somewhere you would want to go this month we have what is your favorite vacation or trip domestic or international and where did you go uh i guess i'll go first since i made you guys go first for the other ones Mine is more of a series of trips than a single trip, but every time that I've been to the city of San Antonio in Texas, I have loved it. I love that city. I love like pretty much everything about it, the whole atmosphere of it, the architecture, the people. It's just a really fun place, and I super enjoy it, and I look forward to it every time I go there. And yeah, that is definitely my answer. Uh, Sam, how about you? Uh, my answer would have to be uh, my trip to England, um, which was after uh, my freshman year of college. I was planning on just basically going by myself um, with basically no plan at all. And I wound up telling a friend of mine, he was like, I'm going to come. And then he wound up telling a couple of friends of theirs, one of whom was my future wife, who I didn't know well at all at the time. Um, we all went to England together for two weeks. It was a very good thing that the woman I'm married to now came along because she actually like had been there before and was a competent, reasonably adult human being as opposed to me, who was not. Um, so we bonded a lot on that trip and we had a great time and, you know, I wound up marrying her. So it's a pretty good ending. <laughs> nice. Uh, Jeff. Yeah, uh, my f- most enjoyable trip that I have been on was probably my honeymoon to exotic <laughs> Seattle, Washington. 
Uh, I mean, it was really far from where we were living in Southern California. Shifty ice. Uh, but we both have, my wife and I have always enjoyed the Northwest. I mean, fast forward, now we live in uh, Oregon. <laughs> I know what the state's called. And, and yeah, it was just, it was great. The, the freedom of a newlywed that doesn't yet have kids is just something that you can only look back on fond uh, bewilderment that it was ever that easy but yeah good food good fun just love seattle saw uh one of ken griffey jr's last plate mm-hmm. appearances was when was during our honeymoon when we saw we saw the mariners and saw him play and that was cool so i i lived in the seattle area when he was you know however many years younger so that was fun good times Right, so that will take us to our final question of the night, which is from Monday, and it is, what is everyone's favorite TTRPG setting to play in? And they gave some examples, high fantasy, low fantasy, steampunk, pirate, modern day, sci-fi, etc., etc. Who wants to answer this one first? I'll leave this one up to volunteers. Iron Gods. (laughs) Uh, no, uh, in but in reality, the mix of some sci-fi into my fantasy is definitely, uh, it's definitely great. I, I enjoy playing in, you know, just high sci-fi Starfinder as well. But, uh, but yeah, I, I tend towards fantasy. You know, I, I have that in one hand, I'm a big Trekkie, and the other hand, Woohoo, Lord of the Rings, sort of kind of shove those together gently, and ha- and where they overlap is where I am the giddiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually going to give a very similar answer. I also really like science fantasy. Uh, I think, though, rather than sci-fi being sort of my second choice, I think my second choice would probably be horror, like Call of Cthulhu-y type stuff. But definitely my number one favorite thing to play in is like a fantasy setting with a little bit of sci-fi in it. I like, it's part of why I was very interested in doing Iron Gods. Uh, I played through the honestly not super great TTRPG system that was created for the Wheel of Time, which is a science fantasy series done some 5e stuff that's science fantasy it's just a very fun mix and it's fun to both like read about literature wise to watch shows in and also yes to play rpgs in very fun uh how about you sam um i think i'm right along the same lines i mean obviously i gravitated towards iron gods for a reason i mean i grew up with the old super nintendo final fantasy games which were very much like sword and sorcery, but hey, there's machines here for reasons that no one's ever really going to explain. And (laughs) it's a lot of fun to mash the two together. I think in a more general sense, um, I gravitate towards kind of a lower magic fantasy setting or like a low magic modern day uh, setting that can, can go into lots of different genres with this sort of offbeat world where there's some elements of fantastical 
in it and um, you know there are some extraordinary abilities but it's not necessarily every day uh, it's not necessarily all over the place I guess that's the sort of thing I generally gravitate to and then on the other extreme like super high magic ninth level caster shooting laser beams while they ride on robotic dragons you, know. <laughs> you would probably really like if you haven't played it the black hat productions uh dresden files ttrpg or not black hat evil hat okay i well i've familiar with some evil hat and i know of the dresden files but they've sort of been on my meaning to look into list for a long time yeah it's a modern day urban fantasy like the book series is set in chicago but the rp the tabletop rpg is set in boston but it's very much a mix of like modern technology and then sort of like middle high fantasy yeah i might have to start looking at that when we are done tonight <laughs> And speaking of, that was our final question. So thank you again to Bellandora, Darby, Piano Man, and Monday for your questions. Again, if anybody has any questions, please join our Discord. The link for it is always in the show notes of every episode. And pop down to our machine learning questions uh, little section and ask us some questions. And we will answer them with our cast every month when we do machine learning until then hope everyone enjoyed this month's episode and goodbye goodbye <laughs> good night <Are> Drew. <laughs> nice <laughs>